0: of God to be in this room, I invite him here because I believe that God wants to bring healing not just to me, but I believe there's some folks in this room that just really needs to experience the presence of God like you never have before. So let's just invite him here this, mo- this tonight to experience him like we never have before. God, we just invite your spirit here. Lord, we ask for your healing tonight. There's going to be stories heard, and there may be a moment tonight where someone is reminded of maybe their past or maybe the things that they've been wrestling with, and they're going to get to hand that over to you tonight. And so as we open up this night and we have moments of stories told, God, would you just take those things from us? God, as we hand those things to you, we ask for your healing touch. We thank you and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I have a beautiful family. I want to show you this picture, I think, of my family. It's going to pop up. Yeah, they're cute and everything. That is my husband. We have been married for 13 years. I know. I'm surprised myself. 13 years. I did not tell my husband to wear those socks. So here's the thing. Like, we're doing a family picture. Y'all know, like, when you do the family picture, you wear pants and then you, you don't wear socks like that in the family picture. But he did not get the memo. Um, my daughter, Jalen, over to the far right, my far right, she just, she's 12. She's gonna turn, oh wait, yeah, she's 12. She's gonna turn 13 in June. Y'all, I'll be forgetting sometimes. It's weird that she's about to turn 13 and some of y'all are like the math ain't mathing, but the math is mathing. I've been married for 13 years, okay? My daughter's about to turn 13. We'll be 14 years in July. And then my daughter, Jada. Jalen is my, like, dancer. She sings. She is going to be, like, at Juilliard one day. She is the superstar of our household. You will see her name in flashing lights one of these days, okay? That is my baby. And then my 8-year-old, 9-year-old. Y'all, I'm tripping tonight. Don't tell them. My 9-year-old, Jada, in the middle is my Velcro baby. Uh, She is going to stick beside me. If I do anything criminal, she will not tell a soul, okay? That is my baby. Uh, Jada is the one, like, you know, my husband and I pastor a local church, and she's the one that says the stuff at church that you're like, you probably shouldn't say that out loud. I think it, she says it. I think it, she says it, and she'll go so far as she started a new school this year, and if mommy's not around or something and she misses mommy, like, she gets, she gets a little bit anxiety at school, especially if I'm out of town, and so she'll be like, oh, well, let me tell you a story, and she ends up telling people stuff that I don't want her to tell, them, like, mommy just had colon surgery. You don't tell people about mommy's colon. <laughs> we keep those kind of things in the house. That's my Jada. I'm gonna stick beside her. And then we ended up getting a dog in the middle of the pandemic. That's Juno. We kept the Jays in the family. It was a brilliant idea for my family. We were getting ready to build a house. So we moved to the city off Bainbridge. We were like right over in the Manchester area. We just wanted to experience city life. And we love Richmond restaurants, okay? So we just wanted to eat and we wanted to experience the city life. We moved in an 863-square-foot apartment. Two kids, my husband, and then we got a dog. Not brilliant, but it was fun. It lasted for six months and we were exhausted. Uh, Juno has been a joy. He is my emotional support dog that supports my husband. It does not support me at all. But that's my family. I love them. Um, and, and I'll tell you, uh, one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has given me is a family. And I'll tell you the reason why. When I grew up in dysfunction. I grew up in Chicago, um, very, very far from here. So I was in the middle of the ghetto I grew up in the midst of a gang rivalry neighborhood. So literally in front of my house was a church and in my backyard was gang rivalry. I grew up in poverty. I grew up around a lot of drug addiction. In fact, my parents were drug addicts. And so from the age until five until I was 15, I was sexually abused by more people than I can count. My life was a hot mess growing up. And so the fact that I can show you a picture of my beautiful family is just really a gift from the Lord. Because I did not know that I would be gifted with that As a matter of fact, I never knew that I would be able to have children. I didn't know that God would allow me to have that. Because I remember as a little girl thinking, am I ever going to make it out of the ghetto? I didn't know that God had a plan for my life. I do know that this golf ball church that was in front of my neighborhood invited me to come to church to an after school program. Many of you could probably remember the day that you gave your heart to Jesus. Or maybe you're in a search right now. You found out that this place was happening, and they have, like, something cool that's happening after you do the church thing, right? Okay, so whatever I say from here on out, don't leave. (laughs) Like, stay and hang out. You may not love anything that I say, but stay and hang out. Here's the thing. I remember these pastors coming to my neighborhood every single week consistently, and they would keep coming. And I was still going through the mess I was going through at home. And these pastors kept coming to my neighborhood. And for whatever reason, one of these days I stopped them and I asked them a question like, why are you keep coming and cleaning up the trash in my community? And they told me that that they had an after school program at the church and they gave kids free snacks and they helped with their homework. And so here I am, 10-year-old Brittany, going to this church that I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about Jesus. I knew nothing about God. Nobody in my family went to church, not a soul. And the only thing I really knew was what I saw maybe on TV or maybe what I saw people in the streets talk about. But I really didn't have an understanding of the gospel. And even when this pastor talked to me about the church, the gospel wasn't even presented at this point. It was just an invite. So I went. And I remember standing at a door where I was getting help with my homework where the gospel of Jesus was presented to me as a 10-year-old. And I gave my heart to the Lord as a 10-year-old, and I never turned back. You know, the coolest thing is that sometimes we're invited in spaces like this. And I'm going to share one of my favorite stories in Scripture about the paralytic man. What I want to remind you and what I want to leave you with, if you don't think of, hear anything else I say, is that today we are called to be mat carriers, but who's picking up a corner of our mats? Because as a 10-year-old girl, I never knew that I needed somebody to grab a corner of my mat. And, the, and they grabbed a corner of my mat and I was able to grab a corner of my mom's mat, who now is no longer living in addiction, who many years later came to help my husband and I plan our church. See, the mother that I grew up with was an addict. I never got to meet my mom as a mom. My, my kids got to meet her as a grandma, though. That's what the gospel does. That's what the impact of a gospel of Jesus does. So it's not about, like, doing cool church it's you getting to grab a corner of someone's mat and you allowing someone to grab a corner of your mat so that you can make a greater impact in the world around us. So we're going we're gonna to read scripture together. Is that okay? If you have your Bible, let's go to Mark 2, verse 1 through 5. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 11, it says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, when I read this passage of Scripture, I think about the opposition that this man faced. I mean, can you imagine walking down the street and seeing somebody just laying on the floor? I mean, everyone's trying to get to Jesus. Everyone heard that Jesus was coming into town. They're all trying to get to this place where he is. And here's this man lying on this mat while everyone's walking past trying to get to the place where Jesus is because they know if we get to the house where Jesus is, we're going to hear This amazing message and healings are going to take place, right? So these four friends are walking past, and they see this man. And I just think about what is all on display for this man. Because honestly, if it were you and I, everyone can see what's happening here. I'm exposed. I'm laying on this mat. They see his pain. They see his dysfunction. They see he can't get up. You know, for me, if it were me laying on this mat, they would see my trauma. They would see my diagnosis. See, what most people don't recognize is that oftentimes when we're laying on our pervivial mat, the pain that's exposed. But what is your mat? You know, what do you walk in with? I, I, I speak to a lot of people at churches, and I know we come in and we have this idea that we have to come to church looking good. So when I say to a crowd of people, how are you doing? I come up to you and I say, how are you doing? I don't know you. Your first response to me will be, I'm good. Because that's that's how we think we're supposed to respond. That's the good church answer. But what if I asked you how you really were? People at my church, I probably drive them mad. Because I'm not trying to be a counselor, but I just know how people are. And I know how I would want someone to respond to me. If I'm asking you how you're doing, I really want to know. So I ask twice. I'll go up to somebody, "Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you really doing? You got to do it with that face. How are you really doing?" And then they just break down into tears. oh my God,, my I've been. That's where you get them. See, that's a trick. I'm, I just taught y'all something new. Put that in your pocket. Because the truth is is that we all are struggling, we all have something, we're all kind of laying on a mat because we all need support. And we're just afraid to ask for it and we're afraid to get it. So this man is lying on this mat, and these four friends walk past him because they knew if they can get him to Jesus. You know, I was reading the um the Tony Evans study bible today, and okay, sis, because I've been listening to you all night. Okay, you have got the mm-hmm's down. Okay, you with me? The Tony Evans study bible mentioned. In this portion of the scripture about sometimes we get people to church. How many of you invited somebody to church before? Or to this night, right? I ain't about to go after y'all. Y'all like, what's she about to say next? Don't say it, right? So we invite people. I've done it myself. I invite people to church. Hey, come to church. We got Easter's coming up. We got an event coming up. We've all done it. We invite people to church. But how many of us invited people to the life-changing power of Jesus? So, So the reality of what these men did. They didn't just invite him to come and see Jesus. They took him. Because every person has walked past this man. They saw it. They saw his pain. They saw his need. They walked past him. Because I'm trying to get to Jesus. I I know what my need is. I'm trying to get to him. So they have walked past this man with the mat. These men said, no, no, I know if I can get you access to him, I know you can be healed. How many of us have... Invited people at our school to come to these nights. And this is no shade to you. I'm just encouraging you. We invite people to come, but we forget to remind them of what Jesus can do. Because if we tell them what he can do, that changes the game. Let me tell you what Jesus can do. My husband and I pastor a church very local to here, okay? I should not be in the position that I'm in. You've already heard part of my story. That already cancels me out because I probably should be a statistic. I should have a bunch of babies out of wedlock. I should still be living in the middle of the ghetto. I shouldn't be married. I probably should have been addicted to drugs. Several years before my husband and I launched our church, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I felt like I was disqualified to lead a church. When do you ever hear people talk about that, right? When I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I set myself down because I ain't going to let you sit me down. I'm going to just cancel myself. So I did. I silenced myself. No one knew. I was quiet. I didn't tell a soul. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. Not because anybody said anything to me, but because I've allowed myself to shut my mouth. Because I was lying on my mat, but I wouldn't let anybody grab a corner of it. Now, did I have access to Jesus? I did. But we need a little bit more than that. Because even though I know how to get there, you also need a couple other components. You need people. We think sometimes that we can do life alone. Look at your neighbor. There's a reason why you're in community right now. I ain't about to tell y'all, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. I ain't about to have you do that, okay? <laughs> we ain't about to do the na- <laughs> say neighbor. I'm just telling you, like, you need community, and oftentimes we think that we can do life alone. I remember people, you know, I would tell certain people, I ain't going to tell y'all, because I'm going to get on social media talking about my mama. I ain't about to tell y'all that part. But I would have people in my life tell me, you don't need anybody but Jesus. You need Jesus but you need a couple of his people too. You know what I'm saying? Like you need some of his people. I mean, that's the reason why we're here. You need support. I just think it's amazing how Jesus had disciples. These four friends pick up a corner of this man's mat and took him. And the beautiful thing is that they knew, they just knew that if I can get them to have access, if I can just give him access, because if this man could get up and walk, he would have got himself there by himself. But, hey, he can't do it himself. We're going to make a way. And they didn't just make a way. They, they literally, by any means necessary, bulldozed the ceiling, probably with their bare hands, because there's probably no tools. It's, a, it's literally like mud and stucco, okay? They're trying to make a way to get this man to Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Vulnerability leads to freedom. Here's the message, don't do life alone. Be transparent with many and vulnerable with few. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you gotta stand on the stage with a microphone in your hand and tell it all your business, okay? But that does mean that vulnerability can lead to freedom. You don't have to be silent about all the things. You know the, the one of the main ways that people will hear you and hear about your Jesus is through your story. You want to tell people and make, make impact? Tell your story. You want to tell people about the life-changing power of Jesus and what he's done in your life? Share your story. It don't have to be all the gory details, but what has he done in your life? If Jesus has transformed your life, share it. It can help change somebody else's life. Let me tell you how how. The story of me sharing in front of you and saying, hi, my name is Brittany Jones and I have bipolar disorder. It does not have me. I have bipolar disorder, much like somebody that says they have diabetes or somebody that has heart disease or somebody that's walking through a journey of cancer. God can heal me today. I believe it with my whole heart, and I trust him, and I'm walking in that, and I'm going to keep praying that for my life. But today, I have bipolar disorder. It does not own me. I will not allow it to own me. I go to therapy. I go to psychiatry. I make sure I take my medicine. I make sure I'm in rotation of all of the things. But trust and believe that every single day of my life, I will say, Jesus, you get the glory in this right so maybe you don't say it like that to your college friends okay? maybe that's not how you say it but maybe when you walk out and somebody asks you what you just did hey I just went to Wednesday night church was Wednesday night church bam opportunity hey let me tell you a little bit of what, of what God has done in my life and it doesn't have to be weird okay it doesn't have to be, like, it doesn't have to be weird I'm telling you what my experience is You can't even argue with me what my life looks like. There's not a soul in the world that can argue my story. You can argue with me up and down about what you believe about the Bible. We argue about that. It's truth is truth. You cannot argue with me about my real life experience and what God has done in my life. No one can argue your story and what God has done in you. So when you walk out these doors, be bold in your faith. No one can argue your story. That's the coolest part about this. Like, I gave my heart to Jesus, and it's only because of the work of the cross that I am standing up here today. No one can fight me on that. Fight me. <laughs> like, literally, no, so, so I've never had anybody. I mean, I get emails from people who, like, say stuff about, like, oh, you talking about bipolar on stage. Uh, yep. I mean, what, what can you say? It's, it's the truth. I can show you the papers. What do you want me to do about that? The truth is no one can fight you on your story. Your vulnerability can lead to not only your freedom, but the freedom of those around you. So I told you that my mom, her whole life has changed. If y'all saw the person that I saw growing up versus the person that she is today, it is night and day. You know, the coolest reality is when you get to see transformation right before your eyes. I'm 37 years old. I met. Okay. (laughs) I am. I know. (laughs) So I. I, obviously, I've known my mom my whole life, but I didn't meet her, the real version of her, until maybe like 10 years ago. You know how cool it is, though, to be able to say, I stuck it out, I stuck it out. Because I could have been like, you know what, your addiction is taking over our life. I'm done. But I stuck it out. Why? I had to get real vulnerable. I had to do some really, really hard things. Some of you need to stick it out in your own life. You need to get vulnerable with your families. You need to get vulnerable with yourself. Some of you are in closets in your, own, in your dorm rooms even now crying about things that you wish were different. When all you have to do is be honest about the pain that you're experiencing. If you get honest, God can bring healing. He can't heal what you won't reveal. He just can't. But he can absolutely heal what you open up your mouth and say, God, I need healing today. Get vulnerable. It can lead to your freedom and the freedom of so many others behind you. The second thing I want you guys to write down is opposition leads to opportunity. Sometimes the troubles of life can either blind or block the access to Jesus are you the type of mat carrier that would do the things by any means necessary? You know, I, I think this man that was laying on this mat, he probably had no idea what was about to turn, what was about to happen with these guys. Like, can you imagine laying on a mat and then they like, okay, we about to figure this out. We about to take, we, don't even worry about it. We got you. We about to take, and he has no idea because there's no like. There's nothing that's telling him, okay, they're going to take me. He's thinking they're going to get me in the door. Picture this. We're walking to the house. All the people are crowding the house. This man's laying on this mat. Okay, how are we going to get in because there's no room in the door? These guys are like, we got to figure it out. I, can't, I would be like, you know what, just leave me outside. Just, just leave, there's no room, right? So now they're thinking, and probably not even thinking quickly, we're going to just dig a hole in, in the roof. On their feet. I can't imagine the angst that's happening in that moment. We're just gonna get, we're just gonna do what we gotta do. Thinking in that moment, the opposition has to be an opportunity because we gotta get this man to Jesus. What opposition in your life do you have right now that can lead to an opportunity for God to get glory? I'm sure you have opposition. I'm sh- every time we open our eyes, there is something of life that hits us, okay? It doesn't matter. I mean, every single day we have opposition. But for me, I look at those moments and I think, God, what can you do? Well, how can you help me give you glory even in this? You know, I went to a funeral this morning. I have some friends that, that lost their brother, young guy, 35 years old. And as I'm at the funeral today, I'm watching these people worship. They're just worshiping God. And I'm just watching how in the midst of their most horrendous, painful day, they're giving God glory, opportunity. Because what they could have done was weep and wail and gave up and said, I can't do it. I'm done. I hate the world. And that's what we tend to do. Grief is its okay because grief is Grief. Like, we're not going to manage and try to figure out how to undo grief. We experience grief how we experience grief. The opportunity there is that, God, no matter what, I'm going to give you glory. Because the opposition is that I'm fighting right now because I miss and I love and and I lost the opportunity that in the midst of my pain, I'm going to give you glory. What is the opposition that you're facing in your life right now that you can turn into an opportunity to give God glory? Because we're the only ones that can manage that. We're the only ones in charge of those moments. Opposition tells us a couple things and I want you guys to kind of hear me on this. Opposition wastes valuable time. Opportunity redeems the time. Opposition creates problems. Opportunity finds solutions. Opposition says I can't. Opportunity says I will. Opposition holds back. Opportunity pushes forward. There is purpose in opposition. Don't quit in the middle. The middle is where the miracle happens. And I know sometimes it feels like I'm ready to give up. I've been through too much. You don't know my story. I've said all those things before. And I'm sure this man probably felt like everybody's going to keep passing me by. Everybody's going to keep walking and Jesus is going to leave and and everyone's going to keep passing me by. And then an opportunity approached him, and he experienced healing. And I imagine that was probably one of the best days of his life, that he experienced healing because someone grabbed a corner of his mat, where he experienced community, much like what you guys are experiencing when you come here on Wednesday nights, community, opportunity. The third thing I want you to write down today is desperation leads to healing. I'm sure many of you heard the phrase that God doesn't waste pain. I want to encourage you and remind you that your testimony can one day be an anchor for someone else's story. Your testimony, your story, can one day be medicine for someone else's story. On February fourth, 2019, I've shared a lot of my story with you tonight. Um, this will be the last little piece. Y'all just know my whole life. Sorry, we family now. Desperation leads to healing. And I'm sure there was a moment of desperation taking this man from where he was to a place of healing and redemption and meeting Jesus. Desperation leads to healing. February 4th, 2019 was a moment where I had to get incredibly desperate. So I experienced this trauma. And I experienced this diagnosis, and many of you know what it's like to feel like life just seems so out of control. When you feel like you can't control, I think you said something about that. When you feel like you can't control something, you have to find something to control. So life feels like it's chaotic, right? Like any of you felt that way? where life just I mean, with school, you just feel like you got a million balls going all at the same time. Then all of a sudden, you feel like you, you got to find something to control. Now, y'all probably healthier than me. I don't know. Maybe you have more balance in your life and you just know how to control things. But for me, I struggle with that quite a bit. Being diagnosed with bipolar and feeling the highs and the lows and not knowing how to balance that. You know, we have this new church. I have children, family craziness going on, dealing with, with seasons of highs and lows with trauma and I'm going to therapy, and doing all of the things, and trying to balance that part of my life, and then there's this something that came up from my teen years that I thought I had dealt with. Now, you guys aren't far from that, and some of the things we tend to think that we cleaned up a mess from our childhood, or we cleaned up a mess from our teen years, and we, it feels good right now. We've cleaned it up enough to get by. We haven't quite let it heal. We haven't quite let God heal it completely. We've just kind of Okay, we've stuffed it enough. You know what I'm talking about. Well, we've stuffed things and we've moved on with life. And that's what I've done. And so February 4, 2019, I remember walking into this lady's office and I sat down and she looked at me and she said, Brittany, you have an eating disorder. And at that time, I'm, I'm looking at this lady stunned because I don't even know what that's like in the black community. Eating disorder. What are you talking about? We don't talk about that. I just ate a pork chop. We're good. I know what that meant. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, when people say stuff to you, you're like, you're talking to the wrong one. Okay. So I'm not, yeah, nope. I was so confused. I knew what she was talking about. I didn't want to know what she was talking about. Because I know what I was experiencing. And I knew what my patterns were. I knew what my behaviors were. At that point, you know, I'm leading worship at our church every week. I'm doing all the things. But I felt like life was out of control. I stand up here today in a very different place than I was in 2019. It's because I had to go through a season of really letting God go to the greatest place of my pain. And no longer glossing over, but really letting some people get real close to me, real personal, accountable. Letting them, gra- like, like, clench a corner of my mat and taking me to Jesus and not just saying, oh, I'm good. Everything's good. Like, when you're dealing with some stuff, you got to let people get real close. So I'm in this lady's office and she's telling me I have an eating disorder. and I'm like, okay, so what are we supposed to do about that? So she gave me this meal plan, and I'm doing the plan. I'm doing all the things she tells me to do, right? Like, I'm, I'm thinking that, okay, we're just going to, you're going to tell me what I got to eat every day. Like, she's a dietitian, so they tell you what you got to eat, and I'm doing it for a little bit. After a month, she's like, this is not working. You need further help because you're not, like, gaining weight. You're losing weight. And she said, you need to go to the hospital. And you guys remember, I'm a mom. Okay, I have kids. I have a whole life. We're pastors. First of all, the church people gonna eat me up. <laughs> They're going to eat me up. And I, you know what I'm talking about. they just, they just going to eat you up. So here, here I am standing before my church again ashamed and embarrassed and saying this is where I am. The reality is that God is so gracious and he's so kind. And when you are, I'm not telling you anything. I have not spoken a single word of things that I have not lived out. So when I tell you to get vulnerable is because I've had to do it several times. But I'm not doing it in a sense of I'm just going to keep doing stuff and then keep being vulnerable. No, like I had to go to the places that I was at my weakest so that God can bring greater healing. So vulnerability was one of the greatest places. The greatest opposition was being dealing with all of these things that I'm dealing with. And then I got desperate enough to go get help. And I spent a month away from my family to go get help. So 2019, I went away to a hospital. I got help with an eating disorder that I thought was going to kill me. I left my church, my husband, my kids, everything that I knew to be familiar to me, and I got help, and I got healed. And it didn't happen instantly. It was work. As a matter of fact, I still see a dietitian every week because you don't just stop the routine just because you feel good. You stay accountable. You stay with having somebody grab a corner of your mat because it's necessary. Everything that I've spoken to you tonight about this paralyzed man and being a mat carrier, we can't just be mat carriers for people outside of here if we're not willing to let somebody to grab a corner of our mats and get personal. So we can tell the whole world about Jesus. We can come in this room. This is just a pep rally for what God wants to do out there. You're going to get gassed up in this room and get filled up and get charged up so that when you leave this room, God's going to do so much with your story out there. But you got to allow somebody to grab a corner of your mat so that you are strong enough to grab a corner of someone else's. Desperation leads to healing. Would you stand on your feet for a moment? Worship team, if you want to grab, get back up there for a moment. I just want to pray for you. So I don't know who you are, what your story is. Y'all heard a lot of my story tonight. But I do just want to take a moment to pray for you. If you're in the room tonight, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. They're going to pray for, play a, for just a moment. And I just want to say a prayer for each of you. And if you're in the room tonight and maybe anything that I've said, but you just feel like, man, I, I definitely need somebody to grab a corner of my mat. I need some extra support. It doesn't mean that your story looks like my story but maybe you just need some added support. Can I just take a moment to pray for you? If you want to slip your hand up, you can keep bow your head, close your eyes. The worship team's going to play in just a moment. If you just need some added support, you just need somebody to pick up a corner of your mat because life is lifing right now. Let me just pray for you. You can just slip your hand up, and I'm just going to say a prayer for you. I see your hands. Many of you, I see your hands. Yeah, yep, yep, I see your hand. Father, we just thank you so much You are such a good, good God. And I thank you, Lord, for this amazing group of young people in this room. God, who are hungry, they are desperate for you, Father. And I know, God, that you are faithful to show up in their times of need, Lord. But also, God, that you are faithful to show up, Lord, even in this moment, Lord. As their hands are raised, they need extra support, God, even from their community. And so, Father, I pray, God, in this moment, Lord, that you would just move on their hearts. That you would bring healings to their hearts, God. I pray, God, as they cry out in desperation, Lord, some of them walk to their rooms and to their dorm rooms and to the spaces where they live, God, and they walk in loneliness. Some of them walk, God, and they don't share things that they've walked through in their lives, Lord. But I pray, God, that as they get extra support, they would have accountability. They would be vulnerable, God, in spaces, Lord. They would get desperate enough to cry out to you, Lord. And they would be sure to give you all the glory, all the honor. We thank you, Lord, and we honor you for what you've done here tonight, God. And I just pray healing in Jesus' name over every heart that has been broken, that has been hurt, God, that has been riddled with trauma and pain, Father. I pray, God, that your healing power would come down right now in the name of Jesus. That every person in this room that has carried, God, anxiety and depression, God, we break it in the name of Jesus. God, I ask that the spirit of God would come down in this room right now, Father. Every person, God, that is carrying heaviness in this room, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would just reign in this place, God. God, that you would cover their minds, God, as they walk out, God. Would you cover their hearts, God? Any issues of control, Father, I pray, God, that you would just come in this room, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for who you are. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this student body, Father. I just pray, God, that you would consume us, God. That you would overwhelm us, God. That the spirit of God would just continue to reign over VCU campus, Father God. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would use these students in this season. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And we love you so much. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you, Brittany, for sharing your story with us. Hey, man, if we need a testimony to raise up our faith, we just saw it right there. Um, And I don't think this is a time to put it in our pocket and walk out the door. I think there's faith in this room right now. There's faith in this room to bring healing. And so I want to encourage us, man, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. If that's you, and and I I, I peeked a little bit, I saw there was a bunch of hands raised. Um, Sometimes I do that. I'm sorry.